masculinity and femininity, they're created by God. God is not masculine or feminine. He transcends those. But masculinity and femininity are a symbol of a perfection, of perfections that we find in God. And those perfections are ultimately the gestures of love. Welcome to the Catholic Theology Show, sponsored by Ave Maria University. I'm your host, Michael Dauphiné, and today I am pleased to be joined with a colleague, associate professor of philosophy, Dr. Maria Federica. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Michael. Thanks for having me. Well, we're pleased to have you here. And uh, Dr. Federica uh, has recently given a talk on the philosophy of womanhood, uh, she wrote uh, a small booklet uh, for uh, the Knights of Columbus called The Gift of Woman uh, back in 2008 and has continued to write on womanhood, uh, philosophy of uh, gender, and these sorts of uh, different issues for uh, many years. And uh, it's just such a topic that I think students and listeners are so interested in trying to you know, think about. And so we're so pleased to be able to have you here this morning. Thank you. Yeah. And, and maybe just to kind of start with maybe like a bit of a provocative question that I think sometimes maybe our listeners might have, or, you know, that, that they've heard many times, right? Um, is it really appropriate to kind of talk about a philosophy of womanhood you know, maybe, you know, some people might think aren't our, all of our understandings of gender kind of convention, you know, aren't these just social constructs? Or maybe, you know, as if, if we talk about the differences between men and women, then we're going to make uh, women less than men or something along those lines. What would you say mm. to people who kind of have that initial hesitation? Mm. Well, probably what I would do is, um, first of all, acknowledge that we can fall into extremes. Yeah. <laughs> and very often reacting against those two extremes is what causes people to deny or reject the reality of gender, or the difference between man and woman. So on the one hand, um, I would just say, look, if we look at the witness of the ages, if we look at the witness of art and literature and social mores and so forth, and if we're, I think if we're really honest about it, and start by trying to free our minds of possibly the injustices that have been perpetrated against women. Um, then if we, if we try to clear our mind of that and, and really just look at what the evidence gives us, then I think we have to say, <laughs> overwhelmingly, there's a difference between man and woman. There's a two fundamental ways of being human. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. and, and so, okay, so that's, that's the one thing I think that the, all the evidence is on the side that there is a difference. And I think anybody who denies it is going to have a hard time uh, dealing with all of the evidence mm -hmm. and, and somehow showing that it's false. But on the other extreme, you have a way of hardening the differences or, or making the differences apply to realms where they really aren't applicable. So that, for example, if you say something like a woman is a deficient man, mm -hmm. then then I think there's a problem there. Yeah. Um, and so, the, but you know, even on on with respect to you could say prescribing acts. Very often, people will say women should this, men should do this, or should be this. I think 
we can we can sometimes feel a reaction to that because we can feel that we're being boxed in, and maybe in the course of, of today's uh, podcast, we'll I think we'll probably cover some of that. But if one hardens the difference too much, mm. then I think there is a problem. There's a problematic way. So yeah. the the trick is to really navigate it right in the center where you acknowledge the difference, mm. and and I, I do think it's indeed very deep and very significant. But make sure that you that you don't get it wrong in terms of what it means and how it mm-hmm. unfolds. Yeah, and I think it's you know it's it's interesting if we if we begin thinking a little bit about some of the shifts that happen in modern philosophy, maybe with uh, some I'm thinking of kind of like John Locke's empiricism, where everything gets reduced to, and what I mean by empiricism is kind of dealing with that which only we can observe and touch. Uh, and kind of measure and kind of experiment with on the outside that we tend to reduce the human person Mm -hmm. to what they do, to the function they hold in society, uh, and to, so it's kind of really what they do is more important in a way than kind of what they are. Uh, Locke uh, somewhat, you know, famously argued that marriage is really just a social utility for the raising of children. Children, unlike other mammals, take a long time, human children take a long time to raise. So you need to have this kind of something like marriage that would last for a while. But again, we're reducing then things to, you know, they're kind of what they do on the outside. Uh, And I think when we think about that as a whole, as a reduction of the human person in a certain sense to what the human person does and to the social utility of it. And then when we think about what does that mean to talk about men and women, then we're already going to be always kind of like misunderstanding man and woman because we've, we're going to be falling into the same kind of mindset of this utilitarian or empirical mindset where we're going to then say, what is a woman? Well, a woman is what the woman does, you know, mm-hmm. bear children in a biological sense for society. What is a man? A man does something else. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's kind of this, re- it's this uh, like reduction in a way of thinking about what is the human person first. And it seems to me almost that that ends up then, bleeding over to kind of misunderstandings of the notion of masculinity and femininity, where those, again, are merely kind of external things. What people do um, makes you more feminine. What you do makes you more uh, masculine. So maybe, you know, could you say a little bit about how does this distinction between man and woman uh, go back in a way to kind of a deeper identity of what it means to be a person? Yes, yeah. So that's, a, I think, a good way of introducing it. The utilitarian approach will never really give us the true nature of man and woman. So mm-hmm. we have to go to a deeper view. And if you think about creation, all of creation reflects God's being. And that's really its first characteristic. And all of creation is a gift. And every perfection that we see, everything that's good, every endowment of every being is a gift, which is a reflection of God. And that's its, its primary characteristic. Yes. And so, and it's, and it's anything that man and woman have that's going to be different is going to be about about gift. Mm-hmm. So, but let's first see if we can dig a little bit more deeply into first of all the, the nature of masculinity and femininity, and yeah. a little bit to its meaning. So, uh, I'm still working this out now. I haven't published this anywhere, but I I'm uh, looking at masculinity and femininity from the perspective of symbolism. 
And it seems to me, I think Peter Kreeft writes about this also, although I don't think he's uh, unfel- uh, uh, developed it yet or unfolded it yet. So this is what I'm thinking, that masculinity and femininity are symbols of some very deep and rich and beautiful transcendent reality. So something in the being of God is reflected most deeply in masculinity and femininity. And if you think about the human person as being the pinnacle of creation, then it stands to reason that while you know a daisy or a lion would reflect God's being, the human person would reflect God's being much more deeply, going to the very center of who and what God is. And of course, we see that in the rationality of the human person. Yeah. But then I think masculinity and femininity Although they don't exist on as deep a level, of course, as our humanity does, because it's it's or as our rationality does, because we have that in common. Still, it's very deep to the human person is masculinity and femininity. And this is my idea. So there's a kind of tradition that sees masculinity as kind of a picture of in taking initiative. The philosophers would use the word spontaneity, mm-hmm. the one who goes out of himself. And, and, and goes first. And then femininity has traditionally been somehow vaguely associated with passivity. Mm-hmm. And w- what I think they were actually reaching for is not passivity, but another, a different kind of reality, which is called receptivity. Yes, and yeah. so um, what you have then You is, just say more about that. Passivity, receptivity. Yes, I, it sure. sounds like, I mean, I, I, I think there, that's like a whole different way of looking at yes. Very different. Yes. So, um, okay. So I'll try to be, I'll try to be simple, but a little bit of philosophy here, a little bit of technical philosophy. You can see that there are two, you could say metaphysical ways of being as in act, right? Actual or Mm -hmm. active or passive. So being simply the one to whom something is done. But within the category of act, within this first one, we actually find two fundamentally different ways of being active. One is through taking initiative, or I would like to say more fundamentally, giving. And the other is receiving. Mm. And if we see receiving as a a personal act, I think a a whole horizon of beautiful realities opens up to us. Interesting. So then receptivity is another mode in a way of activity, because it's... Uh, it's not yes. being acted upon yes. in the way that, like, you know, an artist might act upon paint or a canvas. Yeah. But it's a human person who is fully active. Yes. Either then in the mode of, um, you know, either this perhaps of giving mm-hmm. or really giving or mm-hmm. receiving. Yes. Right. Yeah. Initiating or again, but that sense of like receiving becomes. So it's not really then the active passive, it's this two different modes yeah. that was being uh, kind of suggested by the tradition. Exactly. Yeah, they yeah. were seeing something. Yeah, I think, gift I think and reception, reception of gift. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And that's what it's, it's going to be. They're going to be complimentary, mm-hmm. ultimately. So yeah, to receive, I, it's difficult to put a definition on it, but of course it presupposes an opening up of oneself, which already mm-hmm. is enormous, right? To think that you, yeah. through an, mm-hmm. a free act, open yourself to another, right? It's very different than this analogy is nice of a canvas, right, being worked yes. upon. So I think that they were capturing something. It's like the keynote of masculinity and femininity. I wouldn't reduce it to those, but if we say what's the ethos or the mm-hmm. spirit or the, you could say, flavor or coloring of mm-hmm. of masculinity and femininity, I would I would locate them in receptivity and, and, and giving, going out of self and in, in self-gift. So this is what is occurring to me that I think these masculinity and femininity 
are they're created by God. God is not masculine or feminine. He transcends those. But masculinity and femininity are, are a symbol of a perfection, of perfections that we find in God. Mm. And those perfections are ultimately the gestures of love. So we see that in the Trinity, we now know that God is love. Mm. And and in fact, if you look at the theology, I know that Aquinas speaks of this, that the Father is defined as the one who pours himself out, the kenosis. Mm. And in fact, not, not one who does so, but one who is the outpouring of himself. And the Son isn't one who receives the Father, but he is the receptivity of the Father. Mm-hmm. So they are, again, a little philosophy, they are subsistent relations that are, you could say, crystallized in personhood. And mm-hmm. this is a mystery, of course, we won't understand it, yeah. but it makes sense, right, yeah. to say that that if God is love, we say, oh, let's see, what are the elements of love? It's giving, receiving, and then, of course, the fruit that comes from them. So the Holy Spirit is very often spoken of as yeah. the union between the two. And so, of course, for love to be complete, all the persons must both, both give and receive. But it is significant that each is considered, each person of the mm-hmm. Trinity is considered a personification of these very fundamental yeah. aspects mm-hmm. of love. Yeah, and, and Augustine, in his De Trinitate, has that uh, just beautiful, very simple, but so penetrating analysis, mm-hmm. right? Just that, you know, Trinity is the lover, the beloved, and the love. Yes. Right? And and that is, in a certain sense, the lover and the beloved. Yes. Love requires you know, has that aspect. And, and then in a way, right, for us to be fully human, uh, right, is not to neglect our embodied character, right? We have Mm -hmm. to somehow recognize that, yes, we are rational beings, but we are also rational embodied animals. We, so we are, Mm -hmm. we are genuinely, right, as it says in Genesis, we are, God created us man and woman. Mm -hmm. Uh, So this kind of goes into our very being. And it reminds me also, Aquinas one time says that uh, because God is so perfect and has all the perfections within himself and is completely one, that it's even more beautiful in a way to create a universe with um, lots of kind of differences or diverse participations in the perfection of God because mm-hmm. nothing other than God could ever contain all those perfections. Yeah. And so I think that idea of seeing man and woman then as two perfections that express partly, you know, of course, only God Mm -hmm. expresses himself perfectly, but express partly this, this beautiful relation of love that's right Mm -hmm. at the heart of it. Um, Yeah, that's right. So I think that was very beautifully put. So then what what you have is you would say masculinity and femininity are a kind of articulation in an embodied person of these two perfections of God. They, they reveal it. And mm-hmm. I think symbolism is mysterious, but, but we, we can understand what it means even if we can't fully define it, right? When you yeah. look at a woman, then, then you, you see what's communicated to you is this particular perfection of mm-hmm. love. When you see a man, when you get in contact with masculinity, you, what's communicated is this perfection. Now, so what's important, as you say, is that it's really in the, in the being, in the, in the being of man and woman that we find this, right? Mm-hmm. They each have a specific essence and structure with, with specific qualities. We don't, we don't have to name them. We don't have to say where they're located. We can just say we find them, we see them. And they are a symbol in the created order, in the, as you say, in the embodied incarnate order of these two gestures of love. And just very briefly, I'd like to speak about this because 
if, if it sounds mysterious at first, I think if, if we think about it, we find that we see this, this phenomenon of the manifestation of perfections of God in the created embodied order in many ways. So if you look at a lion, he's spoken of as a kind of metaphor of nobility. We can't mm -hmm. explain why or how, but nobody would use a worm for a, an image of kingship. Mm -hmm. So let's just take things as we find them. Or if we if we say like a lamb, I think there's a reason that Christ was is the lamb of God, right? Mm -hmm. And and there's something about the lamb that symbolizes vulnerability and surrender and so forth. Mm -hmm. So the whole Plato already wrote about this in the third book of the Republic. The whole created order contains meaning and points to spiritual realities. Mm -hmm. And this is also true, of course, of masculinity and femininity. So, but this is found in the very being of each. This and and this is what I would like to say is that the whole the whole world of receptivity and everything that it implies is communicated just by the being of the woman. The world of, of self-giving and all of the beautiful things that that implies is communicated just in the being of the man. And this is the most important thing. A woman doesn't have to try to be feminine. A man doesn't have to try to be masculine. The gift of these two gestures of love accompanies that person wherever they go and they are you could say accompanies that person wherever they go and they are you could say it's they're shedding that ray and that light of these two beautiful gestures just by their wow. very being yeah that's very beautifully so, put uh and you know in some ways masculine and femininity in a way are the very ways through which we perceive the world so sometimes we don't even perceive them and when we try to talk about them, uh, there's that uh, famous line in Augustine's Confessions when he says something along the lines of, we all know what time is until we try to talk about it, and then we can't really explain what mm -hmm. time is. Uh, mm -hmm. And C.S. Lewis in his Miracles at one time uh, describes the fact that uh, so scientists and naturalists have been so occupied, and he would even say preoccupied, with coming to know and think about the universe and the material universe and all its splendor and wonder and intelligibility that they forget that they were thinking about the universe. And so they're so good at thinking about the universe, but then they can't think about their thinking. And so in a way, what's most obvious to us, like mm. our thinking or our rationality becomes the hardest to explain. Mm. And when we try to talk about, say, our reason, well, we say, well, it's like a computer. Mm. Well, it's not like a computer. Right? right at all because we make computers and computers don't make us right so it's yeah. but it's like we really it's hard to talk about mm -hmm. the most like the the most fundamental realities of our own experience in some ways are the hardest and i think there's something about masculinity mm -hmm. and femininity that is like this and so so i think it's just really helpful in a way that what you're trying to do is draw our attention away from uh from merely looking at so to speak the external or like mm -hmm. maybe overly specific external manifestations of masculinity and femininity, which can begin to all of a sudden appear perhaps arbitrary mm -hmm. or modes of dress or different things like this, which seems to be maybe secondary, mm -hmm. uh, but really more to the idea of just simply the being. Yes. Um, yeah, that's very good. I think that's important that um, we know about the way in which an atmosphere is communicated by something, right? Mm -hmm. we, we, we don't, we can't find words for it, but we can say it's 
absolutely specific. If you come into a room that's beautifully decorated, you wouldn't be able to point to this or that. Maybe somebody who's a total expert would know, yeah. right? So mm-hmm. God does know why it is that femininity communicates mm-hmm. this this receptivity and masculinity yeah. mm-hmm. communicates self-giving. We don't have to know, but we can say it is communicated and we yeah. feel the ethos. It's so mm-hmm. different being uh, in one way, <laughs> in the presence of a woman, than it is being mm-hmm. in the presence of a man, and mm-hmm. what's communicated is yeah. is that. So, um, so, I, but I think what I've done is tried to think through a little bit about then what is the content of of femininity, so to speak, and what is it that she communicates. So, is that okay if I talk? Absolutely, a, a that'd be bit wonderful. That? Yeah. yeah. So, the best that I can do is kind of um, paint a, a picture, and this is the picture mm. that I have. So, before I do this, what I'd like to do is say the following. That masculinity and femininity, I think, don't prescribe particular actions. So I don't think we can say, for example, that women um, can't be engineers, just to be trite or trivial, and and men can, and men can't be nurses, and women can. However, I do think there's going to be one area in which some role is prescribed by masculinity and femininity. And that's where I'm going, but I won't mention it yet. I okay. want to first describe mm-hmm. what the gift of femininity is and the gift of masculinity is to the world and to others. So so these are the two pictures I'm going to paint. So first of all, imagine empty space way out there. Imagine the darkness, the airlessness, the emptiness, the free-falling character. If you found yourself out there, Okay, so you have that picture. It's cold, dark, airless. And then imagine, by contrast, the picture of, let's say it's a cold December night, and then a cottage with a living room that has a fireplace, um, beautiful stuffed sofas, um, warmth, candlelight, uh, throws on the couch. And there you are, um, snug, sitting on that sofa, encompassed, encompassed, right? by all of these, you could say, these um, beautiful trappings of safety and warmth and receptivity. Okay, you are in a sense held in this atmosphere. And so this is the way I picture what the feminine um, represents. It represents being received, being received unconditionally and everything that that does for the soul. We are held, we are accepted, We don't have to earn our existence, right? So to be really receive another person means to encompass them in an affirmative gaze, but at the same time, giving them infinite space, as it were, to be who they are. Mm -hmm. Receptivity is very difficult to describe. It's extremely positive, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but extremely hands-off, right? It's Mm -hmm. to to receive someone is absolutely unconditional. So I think masculinity represents something too, and this is kind of uh, a little bit of a silly image, but uh, for some reason, Jurassic Park comes to mind. And when you remember the, 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 at the point where they go out in the Jeep and you know that they are in this incredibly scary place, right? You have the dinosaurs. Mm-hmm. So I'm, the, the movie's only going to work partially for this image. But imagine if that Jeep had really kept them safe. So you have these incredible monsters mm-hmm. there that, that, but they imagine that the Jeep really, they couldn't penetrate into it. And it would be kind of scary to be in there, but you know, I'm completely safe. The world mm-hmm. cannot... Those those monsters cannot put a scratch on me because I'm being held in this way. And that, to me, is a little bit of the picture of masculinity, right? Mm-hmm. Both have to do with gift and self-giving, but you can see how different mm-hmm. it's going to be. So to me, again, 
the very presence of the woman communicates. This is a little bit of what the presence of the woman communicates, a little bit of what the presence of the man communicates. And so I'm, I'm almost finished with this, with this long uh, discourse here. So this is the thing that I would suggest when it comes to one reality in, in, in the, you could say the, the life of created persons, it's, it's a family, motherhood and fatherhood, being parents. And here I think we get very close to rules which bind the man and the woman. Only the woman can communicate to the child this very deep ethos of receptivity so that they, in the first moment of creation, experience themselves as unconditionally received. So I, it's no accident that it's the woman, the, the woman's being in which the child comes to exist, right? Because of her receptivity in the, in the symbolic character of her being, then physically she becomes the one who receives the child. But this is to give a picture of a deeper spiritual reality. The child needs to be received unconditionally. So then when the child is born, the presence of the mother communicates something that the presence of the father absolutely cannot. It doesn't matter how much the father does. It doesn't matter how much he says. Mm -hmm. His being simply cannot communicate that receptivity, which is so crucial to the first moment of coming into existence. Mm -hmm. So that was rather long, but I think no, it's that's a beautiful, important. that's a beautiful yeah. image. And right in part, there's that idea that right man and woman or men and women can carry out many activities and jobs that are going to be, you know, that might be yeah. uh, like, you know, that that, that are, are going to be very similar, right? But the one that, right, you know, I can not, I can do many things. I could be a nurse. I could be a teacher. I could do all these other things, mm -hmm. but I cannot be a mother, right? I can't properly, right, give birth. Mm -hmm. I can't nurse. I can't. Mm -hmm. But those are kind of even external. They're not external because they're really expressions of the soul through the body. That's right. But it's that the yes. ways in which those things reflect that receptivity, yes. right? Yep. Uh, and that's why then um, what, what, what is expressed kind of biologically is the expression yeah. of a deeper reality of the soul. So, right, um, yeah. you know, this in a sense, women can be mothers right. even if they don't have biological children, right? Yes. In that yes. kind of role, um, whatever kind of, so to speak, job they have. Yes, Exactly. Yeah. Um, is that a proper yeah. way of trying yeah. to understand it? Yeah, I think I think that's very well put. Um, if you consider that there are few activities that men can't do, I think this is a kind of picture of the fact that uh, only a woman can be mm -hmm. a woman to their child, a mother to their child. So, as you mm -hmm. say, receiving the child, bringing it to term. Right? They mm -hmm. haven't figured out how to do this outside the woman's womb. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And as you say, breastfeeding, this, these are symbols of the fact that, oh, a man can't be a woman. Mm -hmm. right? mm -hmm. So they're very yeah, close. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And part of that idea, too, is that in individual human beings, for thousands of reasons, a lot of this won't happen. You know what I mean? And when those things don't happen yeah. um, because of, say, like, I don't know, so let's imagine, say, a woman who can't breastfeed. Okay. They're not less of a woman. Right. right. Just like a human being with with, I don't know, who has a limp is not less of a human being. They just, yeah. you know, but 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 you wouldn't say that kind of like running, even if that person can't run, that running doesn't belong to the full flourishing of the human being. 
Yes. And so it's that kind of idea. I think, again, it's sometimes letting go of this empirical mindset that we expect the nature, like the the inner core of the nature to be revealed in each and every instant. Yeah. Because for lots of reasons, there'll be people, again, who 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 are infertile, right? So we're not reducing yeah. femininity to biological motherhood and these particular things, but we're showing that when that happens, then there's an aspect of motherhood that is kind of revealed, and all of a sudden we realize, oh, that's what it's for, so to yes. speak. Um, yeah. And it's no less present. And yeah. and of course, you know, famously, at least for the Catholic tradition, we have mothers. Like Mother Teresa, Saint yeah. Teresa, yeah. or Saint Teresa Benedicta, Saint Edith Stein, right? Who, of course, did right. not have children, and yet we see in them the full flowering of maternity. Yeah. And I remember there was a uh, when Pope Francis uh, at Mother Teresa's canonization, and of course, well, what do you call her? Because now mm-hmm. she's Saint Teresa, right, of Calcutta. Um, and he just says he goes, we'll probably still continue continue to call her Saint Mother Teresa. <laughs> Because, yeah. but like, so, so again, so it's this idea that yeah. these, these things that are expressed, um, they reveal in a way the inner core, Yes. but that, you know, but that does not mean that people who do not experience those are any less yeah. feminine. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's kind of a thing that we tend to, yeah. it's partly, I think even today, like sometimes for say men who are less quote unquote, quote unquote, mm-hmm. less masculine, right? Because maybe they're less mm-hmm. furry or, you know, they hit puberty later or they're not as physically strong, they're not less masculine in any way. Right. You know, um, right? Mm-hmm. So this is really important to kind of see it's the inner core of the being. And the same kind of say for women who may not fit a particular, you know, um, mm-hmm. you know, body, I don't know, whatever it is or whatever kind of, you know, like is on Instagram today. Yes. They're not in any sense less feminine because those expressions are only kind of, I don't know how to put it, they're, they're both real but secondary. Yes. So anyway, I think it's a really powerful image that yeah. you've uh, created. Let's um let's take a quick break, and and then um when I come back, uh, I'd love to hear a little bit about maybe just how you got interested, you know, in this topic yourself and studying it, and then explore some more aspects. Sure. So thank okay. you. You're listening to the Catholic Theology Show, presented by Ave Maria University. If you'd like to support our mission, we invite you to prayerfully consider joining our Annunciation Circle, a monthly giving program aimed at supporting our staff, faculty, and Catholic faith formation. You can visit us at avemaria.edu to learn more. Thank you for your continued support, and now let's get back to the show. Welcome back to the Catholic Theology Show, and I am pleased today uh, to be with a colleague in philosophy, Maria Federica. Uh, and we've been speaking today about what does it mean to be a woman? Uh, what is the philosophy of womanhood? How should we understand man and woman, right? And how can we deepen our understanding of this kind of reality that is ever present? And yet, uh, I think also, it, um, actually, as, a, as um, Dr. Federica pointed out in one of her articles, has almost become the thing that now we're not sure about how to talk about anymore. Yeah. Something that's so fundamental, but somehow seems to be uh, almost kind of arbitrary or, you know, difficult to speak about. Uh, I'd love to hear you maybe just continue a little bit about, do you have anything more, you know, you've been teaching these materials, you know, for, you know, for so many years. uh, And 
are there particular kind of struggles that you find that students or maybe, you know, uh, people with whom you speak uh, have about this topic of masculinity and femininity? Yes. So um, it's related to the remark that you made just before the break, which is, and we've been talking about that, which is that the masculinity and femininity are about being and not about doing or acting mm-hmm. or secondary secondary uh, characteristics, yes. which you find in the externals. Mm-hmm. So this is, I very often find that, um, especially, actually I've heard it from both men and women, yes. how liberated they feel when they hear that just by virtue of being a man or being a woman, mm-hmm. I am communicating these perfections of God to the world Mm -hmm. just by being. Mm -hmm. And what it does is it liberates them from thinking about being masculine or being feminine, which is actually, if you think about it, quite a distortion. Edith Stein writes about this. Yeah, she says that the most important thing is for a person to be him or herself, to be authentic. And what does that mean? That means we become most authentic when we are attentive to others and to the world around us and give the response that is due, right? Every situation calls for a response, right? Mm. The one who's, we hear this, right, in, 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 in scripture. The one who's sorrowing, we should sorrow with them. The one who's rejoicing, we should rejoice with them. This frees us just to be ourselves and to be for others. And what happens, of course, then, is that these secondary traits of masculinity and mm-hmm. femininity, they will just flower on the back of that. Mm-hmm. And and then now we can say, sure, on that secondary level, it's mysterious, but there are certain traits that you could say are kind of picture of that deeper spiritual reality. So we do speak of a feminine voice, of a feminine gesture, of mm-hmm. a feminine and and we see, yeah, that some people have maybe a more feminine face mm-hmm. than other women. But you know what? Never mind. Those are gifts, right? Some people, mm-hmm. some people, you know, are, are smarter than others. Some people are faster than others. Mm-hmm. Some people, right? And we all have our gifts. And there are some women who who have the gift, you could say, on the secondary level of of somehow reflecting these characteristics. But it is not the essence of womanhood. So, for mm-hmm. example, Edith Stein apparently was not very feminine mm-hmm. in her in her physique and in her face and even in her voice and so on. But as she grew in virtue, apparently she was incredibly feminine. And nobody could explain how or why, but she communicated this the beauty of femininity in her being. So I want to say to all men and women, take heart. Don't think about your secondary characteristics. Mm-hmm. There's also the whole sphere of interests and inclinations, right? Men tend to be interested in certain things, maybe sports mm-hmm. or um, you know, fixing cars or guns or whatever. I know these are cliches, but sometimes people identify their masculinity with that. Mm-hmm. Never mind if you're interested in interior design, if you're interested in, in you know, whatever, whatever it be that's typically more feminine. Because some people begin to think, well, maybe I'm not really a, a, a man. Maybe I am a woman trapped in a man's body or mm-hmm. something. No, you can have all of those mm-hmm. secondary characteristics because, again, either Stein says we are first and foremost, in some sense, first and foremost individuals. Each of us is absolutely irreplaceable. Mm-hmm. And, of course, we find ourselves with the extra gift of being masculine yeah. or the extra gift mm-hmm. of being feminine. But we always have to remember that we are individuals. And if, if we don't think about being man or woman, we're free to actually be ourselves. Interesting. That's very beautiful. And in some ways, right, that reminds me of something I think that uh, Viktor Frankl says that 
the universe, so to speak, questions us, and each of us is our fundamental response to the universe. Uh, we can see that with respect to, um, in a more explicitly Christian understanding, right, that our fundamental vocation right, is to love God before to love our neighbor, right? Adam and Eve are created yeah. primarily for God. And only, in a way, secondarily for each other. Uh, and so I think when we recover that idea of that, and again, these are not in competition with one another, but they're ordered and harmonious, at least in their original theme, mm. uh, that that there is that deep beauty, right? That first I'm a I'm first I'm a child of God, and then I begin to recognize, oh, in the in the being that I am, mm. which is fundamentally a being that's capable of coming to know and love God, which is an amazing gift. Mm. Right? You know, dogs are wonderful, but they, you know, they mm. don't get up and worship, uh, nor do they mm. repent their sins. I mean, they sometimes get, you know, uh, they, they, they worry about getting in trouble, right, if they did so. Uh, but, um, but, but in a way, then I also recognize that when I see God, I mean, when I, when I recognize my vocation to God, I also then have to recognize God, how, you know, how, how did God make, who am I? And then I begin to say, oh, I'm a daughter of God. I'm a son of God. Yes. Right. So yeah. then I begin to think about how can I be that? Yes. Right. And I think it's so beautiful to uh, you're right. I do think there's so much pressure on people to conform yeah. to external standards. Yeah. And and again, at least partly what I want to suggest is that this really comes from the kind of empiricism of modernity and this attempt of mm. modern, at least expressions within within a little bit of political philosophy or not science per se, but certain philosophies of science mm -hmm. uh, that we begin to want to see the world as something that we can always remake and reshape in what, however we want. Uh, yes. So, yes. Uh, and, and then in a way we lose that mystery. Uh, yes. And, 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 and I think that can really be right. Kind of disorienting and we can become, almost in a strange way, kind of like exiled yeah. from the world and exiled from our fundamental being. So uh, maybe just to, you know, develop this a little bit, I'd love to, you know, you, you did just paint a beautiful picture, the symbolism of, of motherhood, right? Mm -hmm. Which is a reality of femininity expressed sometimes, not all the time, right? Mm -hmm. you know, uh, but expressed sometimes. What would you say then to that role of the uh, uniquely irreplaceable role of femininity in motherhood? How would you express the unique role of fatherhood uh, oh, in that moment? Uh, okay, go, well, I'm a little bit on the spot here. <laughs> I know the talk's yeah. on motherhood. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or, uh, sorry, on womanhood. Um, yeah. yeah. So I, I again, I'm, I'm actually still working on mm -hmm. on this idea. But I gave a little bit of a picture with that silly Jurassic Park yeah. um, point. Um, you know, if again, we have to reach for um, metaphors and analogies in mm -hmm. trying to capture something which ultimately eludes concepts and words. But I would yeah. maybe we could mm -hmm. say, well, you know, what is it that gives a little bit of a picture of of what the gift of masculinity is? I would probably say something like we think of things like the support that comes from strength, right? Mm -hmm. Because of course a mother supports her her child mm -hmm. in it, but in a completely different way through that yes. encompassing and unconditional receiving. Mm -hmm. But the the masculine I think symbolizes the the strength 
that supports that's mm-hmm. that's there that that the child can lean into and lean on mm-hmm. i also think there's a reason why the for example the charism of leadership is associated with masculinity not because women can't again in fact be leaders mm-hmm. but there's there's something about um, this kind of taking initiative and going out of oneself mm-hmm. Of course, if we think of leadership as service, right? And so, so leads in order to defend and to protect and to keep safe, right? Yeah. The yeah. other side of it, I actually think is very important is when we think about the moral law, um, I, I forget, was it Chesterton who said that we don't break the law, we break ourselves mm-hmm. against the law, mm-hmm. yeah. right? Yeah. There's something immovable and immobile. So what is the moral law? It's that thing that speaks to us that says, here is a good and you may not violate it. You may not destroy it. It's being offered to you as a gift to beatify and enrich you. But if you don't want to receive it, you may not violate it. And there's something in masculinity and fatherhood that represents that beautiful, solid kind of reality is there. It won't shift. But it, mm. that can be experienced negatively if we're ready to violate it, right? Yeah. And yeah. so that's mm-hmm. why the father very often, it's very important for him to be there. I mean, it's cliched again, but the mm-hmm. mother will say, wait till your dad gets home. And I don't, right? mm-hmm. um, so again, this is not about something artificial. His very being symbolizes yeah. the beauty of the immovability of the moral law that ultimately leads us to God. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so that's, I, that's probably about the, well, what I can do here. That's a beautiful right? way of expressing it. Um, yeah. There is a, you know, Milton's Paradise Lost uh, is, you know, his early modern, somewhat puritan you know, and inspired by Puritanism, attempt at trying to retell uh, the story of Adam and Eve and their expulsion from the garden and uh, these different things. And sometimes people criticize the view, the relationship between Adam and Eve within there. And Charles Williams, who was a 20th century, uh, really philosopher and literature uh, uh, author as well, profound influence on C.S. Lewis. Uh, he wrote a beautiful introduction to Paradise Lost and that, uh, Lewis thought was probably one of the, he said it was like the most brilliant thing on Paradise Lost. Uh, but one thing he just says that always reminds me is he says that uh, no doubt Milton's views on men and women and the relationship between the sexes, he says, like all <laughs> attempts to express the relationship between the sexes, right, you know, <laughs> is kind of profoundly inadequate or something. You know, it's like one of those things that's so real. Yeah. And yet I think we have to, but I love the way you say that, but we still have to be able to express it. So let's yes. not, let's not overly worry whether or not we're expressing it right, because it's a reality that the more we can recover. And I love that sense too. It's like, you think about a mother giving birth, uh, bearing a child, you know, nursing, a, all these things. Again, you know, a lot, that just intense, that intense receptivity makes also creates intense vulnerability. Mm-hmm. The child and the mother are intensely vulnerable. In a way, someone needs to stand also mm-hmm. over mm-hmm. because while that love is happening in the mode that it is, mm-hmm. it becomes incredibly vulnerable. And so somebody has to also stand over and mm-hmm. and help and protect. And so you can kind of see these different things. And, you know, uh, and I, I, just, I, just, I just think it's uh, I think it really is, you know, again, anytime we try to express it, we can always pick those apart. I think we also want to defend, uh, you know. Again, in Miracles, Lewis says that any speech about the supersensible is necessarily metaphorical, yeah. right? Love, when we talk about it, like an attraction, it's like 
gravity? It's like, it's not like gravity at all, right? What is it? It's very Blue. hard. Yeah, exactly. It's very hard to talk about what is love. And yet it's also that which makes life worth living. So the highest things, the most important things, right? You know, yeah. God is hard to express. Yeah. Uh, so all these different things I think are just ways yeah. of that, that, but, but, but also trying to recover those, uh, as I said, I think are really, you know, helpful. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think, you know, if you, if you think about, so remember all of this is primarily about the ethos that that masculinity Mm -hmm. communicates. You you mentioned before the atmosphere, Mm -hmm. you mentioned now ethos. Yeah. You mentioned once the hue. Yeah. Would you just maybe explain those concepts for listeners or viewers who might Mm -hmm. not be Wow. You know, as okay. familiar with those. Yeah. Okay. So this is this is what I think is going on. Reality has a, a dimension to it, which you could say is more formal, which we can capture in in words. So you can say something like, if you look at um, the Mona Lisa, yeah. you can say, well, the you know the distance between the eyes is such and such, mm-hmm. and the color of the hair is such and such, and there are so many gradations of color, and people sometimes say maybe there's an underlying underlying green and so forth. So what we've managed to do there is we've managed to capture the quote unquote formal aspect, which can go into concepts and go into be put into words. Yes. Be put into con- we can, we can conceptualize it. That means just means a clear focus on it and words to frame it. And then we can communicate it. But then there's another dimension to the Mona Lisa, which is I would say qualitative, you could say it's yeah. it's on the level mm-hmm. of the qualities. And here we have a harder time putting into words mm-hmm. what's going on. Mm-hmm. So sometimes people say, "Oh, her smile is mysterious." Mm-hmm. Oh, she seems to have a secret. Sometimes mm-hmm. people say it's full of humor, right? Mm-hmm. And but you know, none of those actually captures exactly what strikes us when we look at her. Mm-hmm. But we do say this: we say, "The feeling that I have is is definite, right?" Mm-hmm. But I can't I can't put it into words. And so we find. Mm-hmm. In our experience of the world, the, the, that formal side, which we can conceptualize, put into words, but there's a, another dimension, which I think actually is part of the richness of the world. Our experience is loaded with it, a dimension that we, and now I hope I'm not being controversial, but just to put it very simply and informally, that we are more in touch with on the level of our feelings, you could say of the heart, mm-hmm. but it's but it's definitely communicated to us, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very often we say, well, I felt like this, and we will use 20 words to try to ex- explain to a best friend exactly how we mm-hmm. felt and we know unless you get inside of me you won't get this yeah. but it's it's there mm-hmm. and that's the same thing i think with masculinity and femininity we can reach for for words and concepts but there's going to be ultimately some surplus that means there's more to it that we can't capture in words but that is very specific mm-hmm. and so i'm and that's the kind of the, the qualitative mm-hmm. that is communicated on the level of sensing or feeling and so what i want to say is masculinity and femininity is delivered to us very, very, you could say, specifically and very truly, but mm-hmm. it contains more than we can ever. Yeah. And and so when we say hue, colors, because colors actually create an atmosphere. Everybody knows what it means to go into a red room mm-hmm. and feel kind of excited and nervous. Yeah. You go to their colors that are calming. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? And so that's all I'm trying to communicate. And yeah. so I sometimes speak of there's uh, there are other reasons to speak of you too but for now that's i'm just going to leave no it that's that. so beautiful and, and uh i think you can yeah. i think listeners can also get a sense for why would so many students enjoy being in dr federica's philosophy class <laughs> oh, uh you have a way of uh making these philosophical realities and the tradition 
very alive and present. It reminds me of uh, Pascal, right, who you know, somewhat famously said, right, the heart has its reasons of which reason knows not. We kind of have some, you know, intellectual, it's like a, it's, it's more than our cognitive ability, but it's this ability to kind of receive intellectually and kind yeah. of fully the, yes, the world. Um, exactly. So one thing I'd like just to shift to, to make sure we speak a little bit about, um, right, not only does Genesis say that God created man and woman in the image of God, he created them, you know, at the end of Genesis 2, you have this beautiful, really kind of marriage, you know, of Adam and Eve. Uh, but we also have in Genesis 3, something uh, horribly goes wrong in the relationship between man and woman. Somehow the woman's now no longer gives herself to the man or receive, no longer receives the man, but now somehow desires the man, can't live without the man perhaps. And then the man, as it sees in Genesis 3, somehow has dominion over her, mm-hmm. dominates her. So we have in the history of the world, which I think is one of the reasons why people have such a hard time seeing man and woman, is you do have what you mentioned at the beginning, this history of so many injustices, uh, collisions perhaps between man and woman. Uh, and, you know, just as a kind of a silly somewhat instance, but, you know, I think so many women today enjoy running, enjoy competing. We have a lot of women's sports, uh, women, you know, I think, uh, but I think it was 50 years ago in the U.S. Uh, that women couldn't run marathons. So like in the Boston and uh, New York marathons, women weren't allowed to participate. I think the longest women could run competitively in the U.S. was a mile and a half mm-hmm. uh, because it was thought that it would hurt their bodies or something along mm-hmm. these lines. And the first woman, I think, who ran the, I don't remember what year it was, if it was like 67 or 72, but about 50 years ago, the first woman ran the, I think it was the Boston Marathon and competed in it, you know, like unsanctioned and she finished. So, you know, perhaps that's an instance of kind of like, wait a second, these are these are activities uh, which kind of a lot of people enjoy and they're fun. And here you have a society that limited, took them away from women. Mm-hmm. Um, what would you say to, I don't know, to kind of that experience, either of the injustice and collisions between man and woman, between men and women, or to, you know, maybe societal uh, injustices mm-hmm. that have been expressed against women? Oh my goodness, this is just such an enormous topic. Um, let me see if sure, I can yeah, yeah. try to capture a little bit of, mm-hmm. of my thoughts. So, because I've actually taught a course on this, it was a mini course, but um, so many different angles and, and, and problems here. But I would maybe start by saying the following. So, if I go to the conclusion of where I would go, I would say, mm-hmm. look, the answer to everything is always virtue always growth and virtue. Mm -hmm. None of these problems are going to be solved until both men and women live virtuously. So Mm -hmm. that's, that's kind of the, the the ultimate conclusion. Mm -hmm. But uh, um, on the other hand, so, so I would say this. So yes, so man has, so as scripture says, dominated women. And, and you could say the history of the human race is a kind of catechizing the human person by God, bringing them out of this these structures of original sin. So the Old Testament, mm-hmm. you still had polygamy, mm-hmm. not because God sanctioned it, but because he was slowly educating the yeah. human race. And so mm-hmm. then by the time Jesus comes, he says, if you look at a woman, uh, you, 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 are, you are guilty, or in a lustful way, you're guilty of adultery. Yeah. So he's calling us to new perfection. And um, 
But the working out of that transformation actually has to happen in each individual, right? Even though you have a kind of cumulative catechesis, each individual has to yeah. reach. So we have to you. stop looking, so to speak, at trying to fix the whole problem of society and kind of say, wait, well, so. this is an invitation for me yes, to, to become transformed, to grow in virtue. Yeah. So I would say on the mm -hmm. one hand, with respect to, let's say, the dominator, right? Mm -hmm. um, I, I think it... From this perspective, it's useful. We haven't talked about the tendencies that masculinity and femininity mm -hmm. give rise to in the human person, mm -hmm. and that would be probably another podcast. Yeah. But we can, mm -hmm. we have to acknowledge that there probably are certain patterns of fallenness also. And again, we have to be careful. I've heard statistics mm -hmm. um, that say, you know, only 80% of men and women identify with the quote-unquote stereotype types. Okay, and that's sure. a large chunk. 20% mm -hmm. don't. So, yeah. And that means both men and women will not experience certain fallen characteristics. Yeah. Still, I think it's very useful for each gender to be aware of the mm -hmm. weaknesses. And uh, frankly, when it comes to um, the fallen aspect of strength, which is power, mm -hmm. it's just going to get the upper hand, right? Because that's what power is. Yeah. And that's why mm -hmm. the history has kind of given the man the advantage, so to speak, mm -hmm. right? Um, and then on the, on the part of the woman, I would say this, that um, each woman has to recognize that this whole problem of the, you could say the plight of woman, which is real, mm -hmm. is between her and God. Mm -hmm. It is not between her and not certainly not all men who have ever existed or all or all sinful structures that have ever existed it is between her and god and what what the feminist movement what i think is problematic about it is it, it there's a real problem that it gets right that it's responding to but it immediately moves into the wrong response and it sabotages anything constructive and makes impossible, which is what? Anger, right? The woman, if she experiences suffering in the face, she has to actually embrace that suffering and and go to Christ with it. Now I'm speaking about a Christian response. Go to Christ with it and seek resolution there so that when she then does turn to constructively address the issues, it could even be in her own life, right? Um, even a husband can bear that fallen, yeah. right? Um, then she has to now not react, but respond. Mm. So I, yeah. I know that I could have gone in any number of directions yeah. in response to your question. Well, that is so, that's but, so beautiful. But there's um, a little bit there. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's really good to see again, that you have the feminine, feminine and masculine have kind of dominant gifts mm -hmm. of self gift and self recept or receiving. Mm -hmm. And then also due to sin, we also have dominant, kind of fallen mm -hmm. expressions of that. And we need to become aware of those. And and I think it could be fun to maybe it would be, I think this would be a great topic to have for another podcast. Uh, we go through uh, really quickly three questions. Uh, so I like to ask my guests on the show. So what's a book you've been reading? Oh, <laughs> okay. So, um, well, I'm reading the autobiography of somebody who I think is a saint. His mm. name is Don DeLindo. Oh, and yes. you may have heard of him, and I highly recommend to the listeners a beautiful novena, which or a mm. prayer that he wrote that is um, that he, it was turned into a, a novena. It's called the Surrender Novena. Yes, that's so 
powerful. The Surrender Novena. I encourage people to look it up online, The Surrender Novena. And, you know, uh, I think speaking of Mm -hmm. this difficulty that women can have, that's the first place I would go. Yes, yes, yes. And for men. And and for men, too. Yeah, no, that's right. Mm -hmm. Um, And um, I'm actually um, reading The Voyage of the Don Treader again. Oh, good. Right now. And, Uh, of course, I've read it many times, but I was just, Mm -hmm. um, just, it's one of my favorite books of of the Narnia series. So there we have it. What's, um, what's just one out of many, you know, maybe you have, uh, you know, I'm, sh- I'm sure many, but what's one daily practice that you do to try to, um, in a way, discover your own, you know, kind of vocation before God mm-hmm. and live that out? Yeah. It's to first thing in the morning, uh, turn to the Lord and first uh, acknowledge his <laughs> dominion and his providence over all things and to completely surrender myself to that in love and to um, ask for help to accept everything that he sends. And it's a practice that only takes, can take 30 seconds if you have no time, Mm -hmm. but I highly recommend it because I found that it actually structures the day and changes things. So That's beautiful. That's great. I try to do it. (laughs) Yes, yes. And last question, what's a maybe a false view you held about God and uh, what was the truth you discovered? The false view that I held of God was that I was the one person to whom his loving providence didn't extend, but it was Mm -hmm. a feeling, okay, it's Mm -hmm. not intellectually, I didn't hold it, but I lived in a feeling that he cares about everyone else and not me. And I think that it was changed through faithfulness and prayer and showing up every day and asking him to change that, and then he did one day. But I didn't. I don't think I did anything to to change it. And wow. Well, thank you for sharing that. Yeah. That's a really profound insight. Uh, so again, thank you for being on the show. Uh, Dr. Maria Federica has been with us today. Um, for those who might, you know, be interested, uh, just by the way, um, uh, she has an article called um, uh, "Gender: What Is It? Why Does It Matter?" in the Homiletic and Pastoral Review uh, that you can find online from 2012. And uh, she's also the author of a booklet called The Gift of Woman, uh, which originally came out with the Knights of Columbus, I believe has been reprinted with the Catholic Truth Society. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. So again, thank you so much, Maria, for being on our show. Well, thank you, Michael, for giving me the opportunity and and for all of your insights. (laughs) Excellent. Thank Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us for this podcast. If you like this episode, please rate and review it on your favorite podcast app to help others find the show. And if you want to take the next step, please consider joining our Annunciation Circle so we can continue to bring you more free content. We'll see you next time on The Catholic Theology Show.